0: Hi and welcome to the Courageous Mama podcast. It's lovely to be back with you again. I am so enjoying doing this journey with you. The heart of this podcast is connection and my desire is that we empower, equip and encourage ourselves to be the best parents that we can be. I've asked you on previous podcasts, what would you like to talk about? What would you like to hear about? And the most common thing I've been asked is talk about social media, talk about how we help our children to self-regulate and be wise on their technology. And it's such a good time to be equipping us with this sort of thing because, of course, some of them will be going into year seven next year, moving from junior to senior. And that's a common time for parents to be giving them a mobile phone. Some of your children will already have mobile phones and some of you will be finding yourself having a wrestle and arguing over that piece of equipment that you put in their hands. And you're wanting to know how to regulate it or more's the point, how to help them to self-regulate on their own digital media. It's a fascinating topic to cover and certainly a commonly asked question. You'll have met my colleague, Caroline Kelly. She did the previous podcast. And Caroline and I went through a phase of about two years where we roadshowed a presentation and we were invited into lots and lots of different schools to gather and talk to parents about how to help their children through technology. And we both feel passionately about this topic, not because we're anti-technology. I don't think that's helpful but because we can both see the struggles that people are having. Caroline's at the coalface of the teenager issues. She's a school's counsellor and she speaks with teenagers all day, every day. And interestingly, I asked her to do a survey a couple of years back now and ask all of her students over a period of one week in the counselling room, do you wish that social media had never been invented? And guess what percentage of them said yes? A hundred percent. Isn't that fascinating? And I'm at the coalface of parenting issues and I meet with parents and if I were to ask them the same question I suspect a lot of them would be saying yes also. But here it is and it's here to stay and there are parts of it we love don't we? I mean we're on it right now but we're also aware of the dangers out there. I've lived through a pre electronic world myself and with two of our eldest children. And then our last three children are what's called digital natives. They've grown up in the sea of the digital world. We and our oldest two children, and many of you, unless you're an incredibly young parent, will also be digital visitors. And that's all we'll ever be. So, on this podcast today, I'm going to share with you what our kids are up against. That is in terms of what's going on in their brains neurologically and what the social media giants work so hard on in order to attract our children and beckon them to their sites. And I'm also going to share a few things that you can put in place as a parent for your child, for their benefit and for your benefit, so that that gadget that you've put in their hand doesn't become the center point of conflict in your family life. Then on week two, I'm going to cover how you keep those boundaries in place again without losing relationship with your child. I think that's the holy grail of parenting, isn't it? How do we help our children to grow healthily without the fallout, without losing our relationship with them? And anyone who's separated a toddler from an iPad will know exactly what I'm talking about. Who of you have not witnessed an iPaddy or an iPhone paddy? Parenting through this stuff is a big job. I suspect in years to come we're going to have a lot more reinforcement from rules and from government around social media with some expectations on the platform providers to protect their users, particularly their young users. At the moment there's a dearth of that. Do you know it took science about a hundred years after the advent of cigarettes to work out the dangers of inhaling tobacco smoke and put some measures in place. Well things move more quickly these days and I suspect in about a decade or so there will be enough evidence to conclude that social media and gaming can be detrimental to mental health and then all sorts of things will kick in at government and at every level. There's already a groundswell of noise among MPs about what restrictions should be imposed on the tech companies and in schools but in the meantime your children and my children are that emerging evidence. They're the stats that they're going to be looking at. They're the ones with unbridled access who they'll be watching to see the effect on. Our kids are the experiment. And of course not everybody will suffer with mental health issues, just as not everybody who uses alcohol and even binge drinkers will become alcoholics. But there are many families whose children will be negatively impacted and many that I know of who already are. You can look at the Data ONS site, it's a government stats site, and that shows the rise in young people seeking counselling and the rise in teen suicides. The waiting list in most counties for children to get in front of CAMS, to get some counselling, to get some support and help is at least six months long. So why is it all so challenging? First of all, let's look at what they're up against. Recent developments in neuroscience have given us a helpful new insight into how the developing brain works. Our brains have got two main areas from which they respond to external stimuli. First of all there's the prefrontal cortex that's the place it's just up at your forehead like where you head a football the front of your brain where reason and rational reign. Its functions include insight and judgment, um, it's impulse control, it's where you plan and strategize from that's where problem solving takes place and emotional reasoning. And then there's the amygdala. Well, that's a tiny little almond shape, hence amygdala, that's Greek for almond, in the sort of centre back of your brain that's your fight or flight responder. And it gives you a helpful adrenaline boost when your children or you are in fear of danger. So that will enable you to act outside the bandwidth of your normal characteristics when you're facing danger. Such as for example jumping out of a second story window because the house is on fire even though you're afraid of heights. You'll be able to do that, you'll get that adrenaline boost. However sometimes the amygdala works outside its job remit and it responds not just to fear of danger but to all fear. I like to think of the amygdala a little bit like a bouncer outside a nightclub. It's got a job, but sometimes, no offense if you're a bouncer, it's kind of looking for a fight, it's looking for trouble, and it can overreact to all stimuli coming towards it. And these are the sort of things that you and I and our children will fear that will jack up an amygdala. Fear of having the pride knocked, fear of being offended, Fear of people's opinions of them. That's a really big one. Fear of failure. Or simply fear of not getting what they want. And actually, whilst the prefrontal cortex matures around your mid-twenties, I mean, you could argue that some people's never mature, but that's a whole nother issue. The idea is that it does mature in your mid-twenties. Your amygdala, on the other hand, fully matures by the age of two. So it's ready for action. It's ready to defend you from a very young age. And that's why you'll find that a toddler can clock another toddler over the top of the head over the simple matter of wanting that particular toy. And hopefully that helps to explain why young people sometimes react impetuously and impulsively rather than waiting for that kind of careful consideration of the cause and effect what might happen if I take this course of action I don't know if you've ever witnessed that in your children stomping off mouthing off and generally making impetuous and sometimes poor choices without the proper consideration of the consequences or is that just my kids (laughs) I doubt it So in those moments, the amygdala is triggered and in full flow while the dear old prefrontal cortex is slowly maturing and developing. And whilst an iPad or a bang door, a rude word or a strop or some defiant behaviour all have their rightful consequences and can be managed in family life, poor impetuous online choices can be harder to monitor, can't they? And they can be harder to coach and they can cause problems and hurts and even disasters. So you've got your underdeveloped prefrontal cortex and you've got your ever ready amygdala and now add into that mix dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter in the brain that sends us foraging to pursue our primal needs for food, warmth and shelter. The top three on Maslow's hierarchy of needs we will fight for those and dopamine will be our greatest ally in those moments. In fact, you'd probably be lost or dead without it. Research has shown that a dopamine deficient mouse next to a pile of food will die of hunger. Dopamine will enable that mouse to take action towards a reward. It's what gets us off our chair and going to the fridge or going to get a drink or going for those things that we need in order to survive. But research has proven that for various reasons, dopamine distribution in the early adolescent brain drives them to greater risks than the adult brain in pursuing reward thrills. And that motivation isn't just reserved for their primal needs, but to all sorts of rewards. For sweets, for physically fighting for a toy, for their screen time, and as they get older, for the thrill of extreme sports, sexual experiences, alcohol, or social affirmation, which is available online now. And of course, in some cases, gambling and drugs. Dopamine is their sidekick and their motivator for all of those things. Dopamine loves the anticipation of satisfaction, what you and I might call the thrill of the chase. And once satisfied, all things being equal, that perceived need takes a break. Such as if you're full, you'll stop searching for food. If you're warm, you'll stop searching for blankets or turning the heating up. But social media has no stopping cues. There is no full. The opportunities of digital technology are inexhaustible. And added to which, the tech giants are conscientiously conspiring to lure us and our children to their sites with the full knowledge that there's a psychological vulnerability, particularly among adolescents. Sean Parker, former CEO of Facebook, explained that when Facebook was being developed, the key objective was this How do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention? as possible. And it was that mindset that led to the creation of features such as the like button that would give users, in his words, a little dopamine hit to encourage them to upload more content. They knew what they were doing. They know full well what they're up to. And he referred to it as the social validation feedback loop. That makes sense, doesn't it? You get it, you like it, you go after more. And if you, like me, are someone who likes the hard facts and figures, I'd really encourage you to go and research people like Leah Perlman and Justin Rosenstein, formerly also of Facebook, who've spoken out against the very things that got us hooked in the first place. Because they're disaffected and they've seen the damage that social media is doing to our attention, our IQ, our productivity and to society. If you just look over the past two decades, you'll find that IQ and attention span has dropped significantly from the previous generations. You may also be interested to know that the employees of Google and Apple and Yahoo and many of the tech giants send their children to schools that are tech free. You could look up the Waldorf School in Silicon Valley as a typical example. And that's because they're all too aware that that surge of dopamine in the young brain will keep them foraging inexhaustibly online. And if you find it hard to pull back when you've gone surfing, imagine not having the cognitive maturity to regulate yourself and the extra surge of dopamine that's propelling you forward. So it's fair to say that your children and my children have quite a cocktail. They've got a fully developed amygdala, an underdeveloped prefrontal lobe, a jacked up supply of dopamine, and profit-hungry tech predators. I think it's worth reiterating at this point, I haven't got anything against social media per se. Where my beef is, is that the big technological giants say that they cannot help us to help our children self-regulate. They don't have the advanced technology that would stop inappropriate material reaching our children. But how interesting that I can be standing chatting with my husband about, say, diamond rings, because that's always a good thing to talk about, isn't it? And the next thing I know, diamond rings are coming up on my feed. As some of you will know if you've been listening to my podcasts, we're on the fostering journey. When we started talking about fostering, immediately crying children were coming up on my social media feeds. I think they have the technology. And the problem with them not stepping up is that our children are becoming addicted, and many of them are. And our children are being exposed to things far too early that are inappropriate for them. Here's a good example. If you go back about five years, one of my children opened up his social media feed and he saw a picture of one of his classmates hanging on a rope from a tree, dying. And what had happened is this poor chap had gone off to the wood to kill himself and he'd been found by a group of teenagers. And their first instinct, because they've been honed this way, wasn't to call an ambulance, wasn't to call the police. It was to take a snap and upload it on social media. And that photograph wasn't blocked. It wasn't prevented from going out. And my child saw it on Snapchat, as did many other children. There it was, for all the world to see, some dear parents precious child, exposed for all. Their private and most harrowing moment was a cheap post. But I'm not pointing my finger at the child who posted it, inappropriate though it was, about so that you can advertise to me and use me as a product, but you can't track what my children are seeing? See, I think if they can do that, they've got the technology to block images, nudity, profanity, violence... I think they can even detect character patterns and mood changes and spot anomalies and detect cyberbullying and grooming and aggression, and I would just love them to put some of their funding towards that. So there's my beef, it's out there. So is it any wonder that an adolescent brain that's still under construction and whilst neural pathways are still forming, that they find themselves susceptible to forming addictive habits? great news for share prices, not such great news for our kids. Now Caroline and I wouldn't really need the statistics because we're in front of them every day and I'm sure that you only need to look around you on any average day to see the outworking of all of that. And counsellors and doctors that I've worked alongside and headmasters will all point to the symptoms that they regularly hear from their clients and their pupils. Aggression, irritability emotional instability, anxiety, and depression, that they often link to the online world of the child, all characteristics of addiction. So having said all of that, I'm now going to offer you great hope, but it's context and it's landscape, isn't it? And for my part, I find that when I understand what's going on in their brains and I understand what they're up against, I can be more compassionate when they're making poor choices. I can stand alongside them rather than opposite them head to head. So that's what I'm hoping that that information has done for you. So how do we parent into all that? Well, I know that it is tempting to wish that we had that magic wand and we could wave away social media and go back to those heady days when they didn't have to communicate through electronic devices. But think of it this way. It's in the home years that we can coach and encourage our children to self-regulate in the world that's waiting for them. And the environment that our children will be adults in will have far more temptations and choices than any other time in history, than any previous generation had to contend with. And so it's actually our privilege that we get to walk them through it in their teen years. What use would it be to them if it got thrust into their hands at 23 when we hadn't had a chance to speak into that or influence it? And I find that there are two common reactions to the difficulties of social media and you've got parents on the extreme ends of the spectrum one extreme is to bury our heads in the sand and just go do you know what I hope they survive it it'll pass and they might survive it but what condition will they be in emotionally if we don't play our part and the other extreme is ban everything stick them in an ivory tower don't let them near it don't let them have it and then we miss the opportunity to be an influence on them to show them how to be well-connected, well-adjusted, healthy young people, whilst having access to an electronic device that communicates with people they know and people they don't know. Because we're not powerless, there is so much as parents that we can do. So the first thing that I recommend is make a contract with your child. When you go and get a phone from a provider, you'll be asked to sign a contract. By that same token, When you put a digital device into your child's possession, it's a great idea to form a contract with them. Now that could be verbal or that could be written. Clients of mine and people who've come on courses and attended my conferences have done it in both ways. The point is that it's crystal clear. So when you have a clash six months hence, four months hence, two days hence, two years hence, you can both look back and go, yeah, that's definitely what we agreed. So personally, I find it easier to have it written down. But if you've got a clear way of communicating and holding that without having to write it down, then that's absolutely fine too. But before you sit down and you think about that contract, sit down and listen to your child. They have got so much to share with us on this topic. They're reporting directly from the front line. They know things So it's helpful to start by asking what they think and ask them what they think the 10 pros and cons of social media are, or gaming, whatever the issue is that you feel that you're going to be tackling. That way, what you're doing is you're taking that issue from in between you where it could potentially be a big point of conflict, a barrier to communication, and you're putting it in front of you so that you can sit side by side and you can both look at it together. And if you go off and you write those 10 things over a period of 10 minutes or two days, whatever it is, and come back and share them, you'll have engaged with the pleasures of social media for them and they will have engaged with the dangers of social media that you're seeing. One parent said to me that her daughter went away and thought about it and on her list she'd noticed that media sites don't have children's best interests at heart. Isn't that just so much better coming from her? She'll engage with it and she'll hold that as a truth. Whereas you and I know that if we had spoken that out, it would just bounce off their heads, wouldn't it? Another child cited that he felt it helped his social confidence. Well, that's a brilliant conversation to be having with your child. So what sort of boundaries should we then put in place on our contracts? And again, if you can agree these with your child rather than just list them out, if you can make that contract together, you'll get far more buy-in from your child. And I'm sure that you've already thought of some things that will feel important to you or whatever the culture of your family is such as when they can look at screens, whether they can look at them before school, what what time they can start looking at them on the weekend. So whatever your time limits and boundaries are that you've already thought of, can I encourage you to make your child responsible for their own management of those boundaries? If you don't want to hear your voice constantly going, you're on that thing too much, I can't see your face, that thing's always in front of you, how long have you had? I think you've had hours on that thing. You know, you can hear yourself, can't you? We know it, we do it. But if we can actually make them responsible with the consequence linked to their responsibility, they will rise up and be able to time themselves. For example, if our children are on a screen, at any point we should be able to go in and say, how long have you been on for? And if they can't tell us when they went on or how they're timing themselves, then the consequence will kick in. So they quickly learn it's better to time yourself. And if they can save the world with two thumbs on a game, they can definitely find a timing device on any piece of technology. So I'm now going to share just a few boundaries that we've found helpful over the years. I'm using ours simply because I have thought it through and I think it's helpful to offer things that have actually worked in practice and that aren't just idealistic. So we have a port in the corner of the kitchen and that's where all the mobile phones get plugged in and there's a little basket that they go into and ours have to return the phone to port when they get home from school and then they can have them back after dinner and when homework is done and right up until they're out of full-time education at 18 they have to return their phone to port half an hour before bedtime oh yes we were hugely popular for that one but they know it, they've signed the contract and they know if they want the phone and the contract paid for that's the territory it comes with and another thing is we have a digital amnesty on Sunday afternoons. They not only survive, they thrive. They actually really enjoy being off-grid. And here's my toppest tip, buy an alarm clock. They're now available as a separate device in stores like Argos or your local supermarket. And you know, I'd be really bold here and say that where parents report disconnect or an inability to communicate with their child or a growing sort of distance between them it's the question I'll often ask do they have their phones in their bedroom with them and 99% of the time it's a yes now I'm not saying that you'll have a perfect teenager if they don't have their phone in their bedroom what I would say is it's a battle worth fighting And I know some people might say, but don't all teenagers disconnect? And I would say, look, they develop independence, but they don't need to develop disconnection. There are many families, including our own, where connection is not lost through their years. We have to be careful not to buy into self-fulfilling prophecies like the tunnel that they're supposed to go through. And if you think of it from their point of view, if they've got all that neural activity going on and it's two inches from their head at night, how can they realistically resist? I mean, you and I find it hard enough not to respond to pings and pops, don't we? So if they've got a friend and they're desperate to hear back or they want to know how many likes there's been or they really want to communicate or be part of a particular group or a loop and it's flashing next to their heads, do you think they've really got the wherewithal to resist that? So I think, so I see it from this perspective, It's unfair to put that temptation next to them. The kindest thing we can do is put some boundaries in place there. And what about social media? Well, 13 is the recommended age for social media and I think that probably feels about right to start off with. The minimum age for WhatsApp has been moved to 16, but you know, the NSPCC did a survey a couple of years ago and found that over half of parents are unaware of the minimum age for social media. And if we give them that piece of technology and we allow them to have any app that they choose, they're not growing with that phone. We don't open up a maths book and then expect them to sit at GCSE the next minute. So it's the same with the phone. We've got to allow them to grow, to experience cause and effect, and to grow with them. Let me give you an example of where it can go wrong when they're overexposed. So my colleague, Caroline, she was invited into a senior school. This is going back a few years. And the headmaster was really concerned because there were three kids in year seven who were self-harming. And it seemed to be in the same friendship group and it seemed to be all of a sudden. So Caroline was invited in and she got chatting with the kids and it soon became apparent that they were looking at social media sites that were promoting suicide and self-harm. And they've got conversations that they're in where people are saying things like, don't stop harming just because people tell you to, ditch your boyfriend if he doesn't approve, you need to, if it feels good, do it. And look, they were. They're influenceable. And just as we protect them with what food we put on the table and how late they're allowed out at night, we need to protect them from what can come into their bedroom, their quiet spaces, their minds, when we're not looking. So it's not a bad idea to let them start with one social media site and see how they journey with that before we go on to the next one and the next one. And there are some sites that I think it's worth keeping away from. There's a site called Youbo and its strapline is Make New Friends and it operates with the same technology as Tinder. If you look at people on there, if you think you want to be friends with them and they look cool, you can swipe left or right depending on whether you want to pass or accept their friendship. The issue that we would have with that is it's probably better to make friends in person and use social media as a backup rather than the other way around and I suspect that you'd be in agreement with that. Then there's a site called Saraha and that's let your friends be honest with you and so you can put up honest opinions about somebody and they have no idea where they come from. So for example let's say you're wearing a yellow dress today and I put up on Saraha you look awful in that yellow dress you don't know who said it you don't know who thinks it I mean it's a fast track to paranoia Now the site says that they encourage people to put up positive comments. Now I still have an issue with that. I think if you've got something lovely to say to someone, say it to them. I mean, how hard do people these days find it to accept a compliment? The only way to be comfortable with that is to get some practice. And if you've got something negative to say, there are ways to say that, that are positive and helpful and can help that person grow. Hiding behind a site, probably not helpful. Omegle which is basically make friends with strangers rife with paedophilia a real issue for the police so let me give you a story around that there was a headmaster who spoke to me about an issue that they were having in their school and basically they had this boy he was in year five and he suddenly out of nowhere just had really over sexualized behavior and they couldn't work out where it was coming from they chatted to the teacher they chatted to the parents Then they chatted to the police and they chatted to social workers because what had happened was two girls had been on a meagle. They'd seen a middle-aged man doing something inappropriate on a video and they'd recorded it and they'd sent it to their classmates. And this boy had seen it and that's how vulnerable they are. You can't unsee that kind of thing. It sets off triggers in their minds. And then there's Whisper, which is an anonymous confession site, So the kids will take their issue that they're struggling with at the moment and they'll find a stock photo from the site with the idea being that putting it out there provides them with a cathartic process. I would want to say that personal issues require personal responses not social attention. It's also worth noting that it's well known to be a shaming site and a place where you post blatant sex requests not a healthy site for our teenagers. What I would want to say though is let's not get too frightened about what's out there. Let's be aware, but actually it's far more common for kids to want Snapchat and WhatsApp than it is for them to go on these other sites. However, they're populated and so somebody's looking at them and there are many issues that the police have with kids on those sorts of sites. So what about monitoring? How do we monitor all of that as parents? It can be overwhelming, can't it? Well, some parents choose to have open access to their children's tech. I know that that can be effective, but the method that we prefer is to ask them from time to time if we can just go through it with them. Both of them are effective, neither of them are foolproof. So, for example, if your child's technology is in the port in the corner of your kitchen and you've got their passcode and you decide to rifle through it when they're asleep, You're bound to come across things that will unsettle you, but some things have a logical explanation. And I think it's only fair to allow them to explain their way through things. And there's another side benefit too. So let me give you an example. Our kids came in from time to time and we'd just spot check and say, hey, should we sit down and have a look at your phone? And of course they go, oh yes, please, mom. I'd really love to do that. (laughs) Did they ever, they go, yes, okay. So we just popped through and randomly have a look at a few things. And I was going through the WhatsApp of one of my children's phones with him, and I said, "Oh, that's interesting. This one's called Gangbang. Do you want to explain about that?" And he said, "Oh, yeah, um, one of the, one of the guys changed it. Um, you know, you can go through it if you like." And so we went through it and it was all pretty innocuous conversation. How are you doing fine? How are you doing fine?" you fine you know that kind of intense teenage conversation that is so obviously so stimulating for them so I didn't say anything to him I didn't say oh you need to change that that's disgusting I don't want that kind of thing in my house I just left it and we looked at a few other things And the next day he came to me and he said, oh, mum, do you remember that um, WhatsApp that had that kind of funny name? I said, oh, funny enough, I do. And he said, "Um, I've changed it. I said, oh, have you? What did you change it to? He said, I changed it to PG. Now, of course, anyone in the group can change the title of the group. But if I'd found that in the middle of the night, I would have thought, my goodness, what's this child into? So some things aren't as bad as they look. And it's good to have conversations with them as you're looking through their stuff. Now, let's say they're in the middle of a relationship. I wouldn't force my way into their personal mail. Actually, funny enough, in Britain, it's illegal to go through your child's mail. They are actually afforded that protection. So I think we have to be respectful, but we also have to know that, come on, we've agreed that this is going to be an open and accountable relationship that we have over this piece of technology. So you can have conversations about photos you see and apps that they're into and rifle through it with them and ask them things like, you know, do you understand what fishing is? Do you understand that you don't give away your personal details? You don't say where you are to everybody. You have a look at what sites they're on and no matter what you see, this is top tip number two, keep a poker face now I don't mean a sad face or a po face I just mean try not to have a dramatic reaction when you see something that you don't like you're building trust with that child that's the child that you want to come to you when something awful's gone on in their lives and if they know that you're going to pop or have a cow you're not the person to come to so keep calm and carry on Now, when I said fishing back there, I meant fishing with a PH, and I'm sure most of you know what it is, but just in case you don't, that's when people are trying to contact you and lure you into something, and they're not necessarily who they say they are. One of my kids came back from school, this is a couple of years back now, and he said, oh, mum, funny conversation I had with a friend on the bus today. He said, oh, hey, I've got a new girlfriend, and uh, my son said, oh, that's great. Can I see a photograph? So he shows him a photograph. Oh, she's gorgeous. Do you chat to her much? Well, we don't chat so much. We just kind of mostly text each other. He said, Oh, have you like FaceTimed with her or anything? And he said, Oh, she's just never available. It's a bit difficult. And he said, Well, have you met her in person he said no no she lives abroad and actually um we're going to meet up she wants to come over and see me but she just needs a bit of help with the airfare i mean you can see where this is going so my son turned to his friend and he said mate your chick's a dude they have got their friends to grow and lure with but it is worth saying you know is there anyone here you don't know is there anyone you're gaming with that you don't know and have a very firm boundary around that. So that's one form of phishing, but phishing is basically a fraudulent abuse of another person's persona in order to attract attention for sex, finance, or other gain. And when you're going through their phone, look out for vaults. So a vault is something that would look like a normal innocuous app such as a calculator. But when you go into it, it asks you for a password. Well, obviously you don't need a password to use a calculator and that gives you a clue that there's something behind there that they might not want you to see. It's a place where they can store communication, photographs and actually Snapchat has its own vault. There's an app called Vaulty which rather gives itself away but there are apps out there that cover themselves by looking like a music app or something that you might pass by as a parent. So if they've got two calculators, if they've got multiple music apps, just have a little poke around with them and see what's behind them. And then look out for those mood changes. You know, there have been some times in the last 10 years that we've seen that a little bit of behavior just doesn't feel quite right. Aggie, bugging and irritating quick tempered and that's just me no and (laughs) and you know that something isn't sitting well and you work out is it just a few late nights is there something going wrong at school and if you can't land it on anything have a little look at their phone with them you may find that there's just something going on we're given a gut instinct for a really good reason and I think as parents we're brilliant at listening to that You know, when I was thinking about that, I wanted to recall some examples and I could think of five just like that without even having to scratch my head. And for each scenario, we would get to that point of frustration and think, you know, what is going on with this child? They just seem like a completely different character from yesterday. And, you know, that's where your friends and people are going to say, oh, don't worry about it, it's just hormones. It's girls, you know, what they can be like. They're eight, they're having a hormone spike. They're 12, they're getting pubescent boys will be boys kids can be cruel terrible twos that all may be true but let's not buy into the fact that it covers everything if you're restless about their behavior you've probably got a good reason to have a little look around and of course it could be nothing at all but it's worth just being awake isn't it or woke as the kids would say And what about safeguards? Are there any safeguards out there that you can put on your phones or your digital technology? Well, there are lots of them. I couldn't possibly cover them all here. But what I would say is we went through a spate of using some of them to see how effective they were. And we found that they all had chinks in their armour. And nothing replaces good parental modelling, supervision and guidance. The safeguard options are constantly changing and they're constantly upgrading and I would still encourage you to have a look. You can time block them whilst they're doing homework if they want their music and therefore they want their phone with them. You can block certain apps. You can see which apps they've been using and for how long. You can put their phone on emergency mode. You can even do that from a remote location. Let's say you're out and you've forgotten to sort of turn the Wi-Fi off and you want to disable it at a certain time of night. And you can block inappropriate content and they are in fact working on some of the image blocking and nudity profanity violence the stuff that i was talking about earlier but no one's got it pitch perfect yet and one of the things that we also need to bear in mind that the kids are always ahead of us here for example omegle encourages you to write backwards to avoid the filters I think that's a lot to take in for one session and I hope that it's given you some insight into the brain, into the behaviour of our children, into some of the things that we can empower ourselves to do to step inside that wrestle that they have with technology and stand with them in it. And next week, I'm going to share some effective ways to inspire our children to stay within those boundaries that we've set with them. I'll talk about what we can do when more empowered than we think we are. I'm also going to talk about what to put in place and how to monitor it when they've leapt clean over the boundary walls and how to handle that conflict that can arise in our homes around technology. And also, I'm going to talk about some things that we can do to distract them from that constant lure of their online world. These aren't just fun ideas, but proven, effective tools to support and encourage and equip you as you support and encourage and equip your children. So I look forward to chatting with you all about that. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You can find me on Talk About Social Media. You can find me on Instagram, at The Courageous Mama. You can find me online. I've got a blog, thecourageousmama.com, where I put up some of the salient points of the talk so that you can see them in text as well as hearing them audibly. And let me know if you're enjoying it, rate or review it, send it to a friend and let me know what you're thinking. I've so enjoyed hearing from those of you who have connected with me and I do try to respond personally to everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm so enjoying this journey with you. See you next week.